I was selfish and I wanted what I wanted when I wanted it. And I did not think about anybody else and how that was going to affect anybody else. Alcoholics don't have the market cornered on selfishness and self-centeredness. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Greetings from Studio AA, deep in the heart of Texas. That was the voice of Lori G from Al-Anon that you heard at the beginning of this here episode and you are going to hear so much more from her in just a moment, but first things first, this here episode is being brought to you by Brad. So you ask yourself, what did Brad do? Brad went, went to our website, excuse me, Brad went to our website www.soberspeak.com he clicked on the little yeller donate tab and he made a a contribution so thank you so much brad for your generosity this here episode is coming right out to you episode number 299 so let me just go ahead and say this right off the bat um you're probably going to hear it in my voice, and uh, as you can tell, I stumbled there just a little bit on the beginning, and I can tell you this, that uh, my balance is off as well, because I always stand to do these things, and I've actually had to catch myself a couple of times. I've got a little thing called, and I'm sure none of you have ever had this before, it's called, oh, what's this called again? Oh, yeah. COVID-19. I thought all this stuff was over, uh, but apparently it is not. uh, But we're uh, recording an episode anyway, because you don't have to stand next to me, right? It's no big deal. Um, But uh, I could tell you, I am feeling a little uh, lacking in energy. But I I also want to say this. I don't know what it is, um, but I feel... I talked to my friend Rick R. the other day uh, after his replace, he had a hip replacement surgery. And I was reaching out, just kind of checking on him, make sure that he was doing okay. And what he said is, he goes, physically, I'm having to use a walker to get around, but, <clears throat> excuse me, you may hear that a couple of times as well. He says, but I am spiritually and mentally as strong as I've ever been. And that's how I feel today. Now, if you listen to the episode last week, uh, what I recorded on the beginning, I was not 
feeling spiritually and mentally at my best. However, I don't know, maybe COVID does that to people. Maybe this is one of the uh, side symptoms, uh, whatever. You know, you can't taste food and then you get spiritually and mentally all kind of straightened up. Uh, I don't know, but nonetheless. Um, so that's what's um, going on with my me. Uh, and enough about me. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, so I have a... Uh, this is a piece of listener feedback, I guess you should say. Um, and that is, this came from a gentleman named JT. And I wanted to read it right here at the beginning of this episode. We'll have more listener feedback later. In fact, there's plenty of it because I didn't do any last week. But nonetheless, JT writes in and he says, Hi, John. My name is JT. I am currently incarcerated, and I have been involved with AA for several years now. Thank you for the good work you do to make Sober Speak possible so that everyone, both inside and outside, has a chance to hear powerful messages of experience, strength, and hope from so many other wonderful people uh, who, I, who I have come to adore. The guest sharing their experience, strength, and hope through Sober Speak podcast has revolutionized my understanding of the 12 steps in my relationship to AA as a whole. I am so grateful to them all, the guests he's talking about. My life and spirit has been uplifted and positively transformed, and I thank you for connecting me with Brad. He has been helping me, and I am proud to call him my sponsor. So just so you know, he had written in before we got JT in contact with Brad and Brad, a friend of mine here in Frisco has graciously agreed to sponsor JT. Uh, he says, I am so grateful for so much goodness coming into my life due to sober speak. I'll be sure to pass it on. I want to also take a moment to honor Charlie P who I recently heard has gone on to join the big meeting in the sky. He is one of my favorite people. I've listened to all of his talks on the podcast more times than I can account than I can count. His emphasis and discussion of what he calls self peace on pages 60 through 63 of the big book has brought me has brought about no less than a spiritual awakening in my life. I encourage any listeners out there to check out Charlie's episodes on the Sober Speak podcast, especially episodes number 195, which is called So Our Troubles We Think Are Basically in, of Our Own Making, episode number 203, Second Surrender in Alcoholics Anonymous, and episode number 212, Pivot Point in Alcoholics Anonymous. I feel very fortunate to have the ability to hear Charlie share his experience, strength, and hope with us through Sober Speak, even though while he was living actively through, a seri through serious life challenges. I heard him carry the message that gives life to what is said in the third step prayer, to what is said in the third step prayer and mentioned in the book, and as a result has brought me closer to the God of my understanding. What a true gift. Only, 
Although my encounter with Charlie was over through the was only through the Sober Speak podcast, I have no doubt he will be affectionately remembered by all who have known him and all who have heard him talk. I'm sure many others are with me as I send a heartfelt thank to you, old Charlie P., up there at the big meeting in the sky, JT. Well, that just brought together several of my favorite subjects. One is is that we're reaching people who are incarcerated. The other is our friend, Charlie P., by the way, I want to let you know, JT, I sent that message along to Katie, his wife, and she immediately sent a message back saying how much she appreciated it and how much she loved it and how much it meant to her. So it brings together Charlie P. It brings together my friend Brad, who is uh, not only him, I, there are several people that that are are gracious enough to give of their time to sponsor people who are incorporated excuse me incarcerated or communicate with them and or uh just be a, 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 an ear a, just somebody they can lean on uh while they are incarcerated and i understand that a lot of uh people cannot email. A lot of people that are incarcerated cannot email. And we're working on a solution to that issue right now. They can hear it, uh, but they are unable to um, email. Um, but they may be able to um, communicate with us through a mailing address. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know, it just brought together a lot of different subjects that are, are dear to my heart. Um, and I really appreciate you writing in, JT. Um, I told you when I communicated back, actually through Brad, that uh, it made my day. Um, and I really meant that. All right. Now, on to Lori G, part one. So, episodes number 299 and episode number 300 is going to be Al-Anon-ish. It's going to be Lori G. Is what it, not Al-Anon-ish. It's going to be an Al-Anon episode. So this is part one of Lori G. And you're going to hear the second part of Lori next week. Uh, this one is called Al-Anon. Alcoholics don't have the market cornered on selfishness. <laughs> Which I love. Okay. Uh, Lori is in Al-Anon. She resides in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And I'm sure some of you have heard on our podcast before, or you just know him from uh, conferences or whatever. Both Lori and Cl- Cliff G is her other half. And we're going to have him back on at some point here in the near future. But uh, anyway, her recovery date, Lori's, is July 1st of 2001. We discuss her upbringing in a small town in Oklahoma, what her, what she and her husband call a two-story house. <laughs> You'll have to hear that. Uh, we talk about the subject of vulnerability and how that helps not only her, but others 
the big the big books place in Al-Anon and what it should and should not be, at least from her opinion, so to speak. Uh, what she was oh, when she was working at a bank and her quote solution walk through the door and much more. Uh, and we'll have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this. And remember, we're going to follow up with the second half of Lori's story next week, me- next week. And believe me, you want to tune in for the finale. It is quite a ride. You do not want to miss. Uh, enjoy, excuse me. Uh, I told you I was going to stumble over this stuff. Enjoy Lori G. And I will have plenty. Oh, the, you know, I just thought about something. That sounds a little bit like uh, Allie G. You know who Allie G is? The uh, actor. Well, he wasn't an actor. He, somebody played a character. I'm sorry, Lori. I'm so sorry I did that. But nonetheless, enjoy Lori G. And we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this here episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today we're sitting here with Miss Lori G. And Lori, I am going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself. Now, generally speaking, I have people at this point give their sobriety date as well, but you're not going to do that. And there's a reason for that. And I'll let you explain that. But go ahead, introduce yourself, tell people where you live, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Okay. My name is Lori G. I'm from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and I do have a recovery date and it's July 1st, 2001. So the recovery date, which is a little bit different than, and you said 2001, is that right? That's correct. Which is a little bit different than a sobriety date. And why don't you tell people what your recovery date for you at least signifies? So that is the day that I uh, started on a journey um, into Al-Anon. And um, I started my 12-step program. That was actually the very first meeting that I ever went to. And and people have uh, marked their day in Al-Anon uh, differently. Um, some people do it by their very first meeting. Some people do it when they first get a sponsor. Some people do it when they start working the steps. Um, but I was kind of, um, I, I never took a break from the time that I started going to Al-Anon. I never quit. I never stopped. I kept, so that's my day. So, you know, and I'm sure we've been through this with other Al-Anons at the past, but I didn't, so you, there are different kind of like, uh, obviously sober is sober. Well, I, I I'll take that back. Uh, uh, there are some people who go on the marijuana maintenance program and continue <laughs> with that sober date sometimes, but usually they kind of like come to their senses after a while, but there are different ways of measuring your, uh, recovery date in Al-Anon. Uh, do you know, do most people do it by their first meeting or do you know? Now, I think everybody's different and a lot of people call it their serenity date and Alan on and that's fine. I, I don't know why I chose recovery date. I just think because that was the beginning of my recovery and, um, and I think people do, I, I think people just do whatever, um, is more comfortable for them. I mean, I also have known people who have been in Alan on for a long, long time, um, and didn't really get serious about it until months or years later, and they don't start their date till they really start working the program. And I do want to mention right here on the beginning of this, you are the better half, for lack of a better word, of somebody that we've had on the podcast <laughs> in the past. His name is Mr. Cliff G. Uh, and uh, how long have you all been married? We've been married 23 years. That's great. And I know we're going to get into some of that in just a yeah. second. It hasn't all been rosy, but uh, <laughs> you, you've been able to work the steps in your in your uh, marriage. And y'all also do, if I'm not mistaken, you do kind of some uh, traveling together sometime, go to conferences together. In fact, 
now that I'm thinking of it, Dan G, who is at the Crestview conference, uh, <laughs> actually gave me you and close names. When y'all uh, yeah. travel out there, are you usually doing like a a combination thing or your solo thing or a little bit of both? You know, most conferences that ask us to speak, most of them ask us together. They want an AA and an Al-Anon um, and they kind of get the, they, it's rare to have couples that go out that are in AA and Al-Anon that speak. Um, it, we're kind of a rare breed anymore. And so usually when we get asked, they want us together because they want to hear the Al-Anon side and the AA side. But um, very little of our stories are like rebuttal or anything like that. It's just, it really is kind of two separate deals, but um, most people just like having us together and we do a lot. We do, we do travel a lot and we do it a lot. Um, and most of the time, I would say probably 90 to 95% of the time we're together. And did I hear you refer to it one time as a two-story house that you live in? <laughs> There's a kind of a joke. Uh, Cliff says we live in a two-story house, her story and my and his story. And I say we live in I say we live in a two-story house, his story and the truth. And um <laughs> because, you know, a lot of the stuff that he, you know, that is in his story has been told to him. Not that he actually remembers, but that has been told to him. And if you're an Al Anon of my type, we remember it all, every detail, and we can we can pull it out at any moment's notice to let you know. The recall is great on that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what do they say about uh, Bill Wilson? He wrote As Bill Sees It and Lois wrote. Lois remembers. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and she remembers very well. Uh, Bill, uh, Lo, uh, yeah. Is that is that how it goes? Yeah. I think it, right? It's like yeah, As yeah. Bill Sees It and Sees it, Lois, Lois actually remembers, remembers yeah. though. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah, that's right. Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and go back before uh, July 1st of 2001, because there's okay. quite a backstory there. Uh, you grew up in Oklahoma, is that right? I have been uh, born and raised in Oklahoma and didn't grow up in an alcoholic home. My parents are not alcoholics. And I did have a brother uh, that died of this disease um, about four years ago. Um, but yeah, born and raised in Oklahoma, um, came from good stock, um, knew right and wrong from the get-go, uh, grew up in church, um, had a dad that was as old as everybody else's grandfather's my age. My dad was a depression kid and uh, uh, was in World War II and, uh, and uh, instilled in me a good work ethic and, uh, again, taught me everything that I, uh, that I needed to know from a moral standpoint. So um, we didn't even have drinking in our house growing up. I mean, I, I mean, that was, we just didn't even have it in our house. So parents weren't alcoholics, didn't grow up in an alcoholic home, not my story at all. And um, we lived on a little 10 acre farm and we had dairy cattle and beef cattle and all the things and a huge garden and, um, you know, pretty much lived off the land seriously. And um, grew, I grew up in this little town um, on 10 acres and everybody in that town knew us. And I knew everybody in that town. My dad helped start a church there and he wasn't a minister or anything like that, but he was a deacon of the church and he helped start that church. And I was told that we used to have um, services in our home before the church was built. So again, good, solid foundation, good background. Everybody meant well. Um, and you know, I was, I, I was taught everything that I needed to know. And, um, but that didn't keep me from going way astray <laughs> and having a lot of stuff happen to me in my life. So, um, but yeah, 
just so, just a small town girl. So you said it, you, it was good solid stock which you came from, which I, I love. Did. And you, so, and you mentioned your brother there. My guess mm. is we're going to get into that a little bit later. Was that your only sibling? No, I had two older sisters, and I have an elder brother. And um, uh, my brother was six years older than me. And um, you know, my brother started getting in trouble. At probably he started running away from home. I remember him running away from home from the time I was about. Or sometime he was about 11 or 12 years old. And, you know, um, I, I now know it's all about that restless, irritable and discontent. I had no idea what was going on at the time. I just thought that he was just being a troublemaker. And, um, you know, and I think he started drinking at a very young age. Um, I think he was like, I don't know, probably 15 years old, 14, 15 years old when he started drinking. And uh, it just progressed. And he was 56 years old when he died. And he had, he had literally drank himself to death. Um, and so, um, but my elder sisters don't have a problem. Um, I have one sister that, you know, has drank and done other things her whole life. And I, I like to tease and say, she, uh, she doesn't have a problem and she's not an alcoholic, but she gives a good impression of one. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I had another sister that came into this program and, uh, she actually, she came into AA, she went into the AA program about 15 years ago. And she stayed for about seven years. And then she called me one day crying and I answered the phone and I said, what is wrong with you? And she said, I don't think I'm an alcoholic. And I said, why are you crying? And she said, I really want to be. And, uh, and I said, well, what's going on? And she just uh, explained to me that she felt like a fake and a fraud in those meetings, that there was a lot of the stuff that she could not relate to as an alcoholic. And, uh, and, and that, and that she'd went back through the 12 steps with her sponsor and her sponsor said, you know, nobody can tell you if you're an alcoholic or not, but I'm going to make an exception in your case. You are not an alcoholic and she's not, she's really not. And, um, but she loves AA and she loved the fellowship of AA and she loves being in the rooms and she, and she still does. She still loves AA and she still loves the fellowship of AA. Um, but when I asked her, I go, why did you come to AA in the first place? She said, well, if I'm being honest, I thought my husband at the time would follow me into the rooms. And, and that's when I said, well, welcome to Al-Anon. Um, <laughs> because uh, we are focused on the AAs and what they're going to do and what we try to get them to do. So, um, but I, neither one of them really have a problem. Um, I don't believe. And, um, and, and then, you know, my brother drank himself to death and then uh, there's me who have never, and I've never had a drink or a drug in my whole entire life because I went the opposite direction and tried to control every single thing around me. And I just figured if I never drank or did a drug, um, I would not be affected by um, alcoholism. Of course, I didn't have those words at the age of six or seven when I made this decision. Um, but I just knew that they had gotten into a lot of trouble. It seemed like they were having a lot of problems and I wasn't going to be like my brothers and sisters. And so I was never going to do that. And I just, and I'm stubborn. So I stuck to my guns and I just never have. And I know today that is about control. That is trying to control my environment, my situation, thinking that it's going to be okay. And obviously that control really worked out for me because here I am on a podcast talking about Al-Anon and the effects of alcoholism. So <laughs> way it usually works. What about your parents? Did they stay together? They did not. When I was seven years, I, I always say I had a really great life until I was seven years old. And um, when I was seven years old, my uh, parents got a divorce and um, my mom moved me out of the country to a suburb of Oklahoma City and I hated it. 
And I hated it because I um, was teased for the first time. Kids were really mean to me and they teased me and called me names and tripped me going down the hall and uh, threw things at me on my way home from school and all the things that kids do. And, um, and they teased me because I was the ugliest kid in school. And I had, um, I, I had a uh, buck teeth really, really bad. And I had these eye teeth that were growing out through my gums. So I looked like a vampire bunny and I had a big <laughs> nose. Um, I got my nose fixed in my twenties. My doctor told me, he goes, your nose would look better on a man. I said, it does. It's my daddy's nose. And, uh, <laughs> And it looked great on my dad, but it did not look great on me. And um, and I had be I had these big thick glasses because I couldn't see three feet in front of my face. And I was a tomboy. I my brother wanted a little boy, a little brother. I uh, wanted me to be a boy when I was born. He had already had two older sisters, and um, and he got me. And so he just did the best with what he had. And um, and I did all the boy things. And I've always been. Uh, my whole life was really pretty much more comfortable around boys because I was a tomboy and I rode bikes with the boys and I raced cars with the boys and I, um, um, uh, climbed trees and played football and all the things that the guys would do, I would do. Cause I was just more comfortable doing that. Cause I've been doing that with my brother. And so I was a tomboy. I wasn't real hygienic cause I was a tomboy. And, um, and so they teased me and they had a lot to work with. And, um, <laughs> and so, uh, I hated it. I just, I hated it. And, uh, my mom worked during the day. I was a latchkey kid. And, um, and I had, uh, again about control, uh, I had decided if you're going to be mean to me and if you're going to hurt me, you're not going to get close to me. And I just decided I didn't need friends and I didn't have friends. I, um, that was a choice again, control a choice that I made at a young age. And I, um, I, I just would go home after school and lock myself in, uh, in the house and read a lot of books and watch a lot of TV. And, uh, and that's just kind of ha- what happened. And, um, and at my, and my dad's house was totally different. My dad had this girlfriend and I hated her and she didn't do anything to me. I just hated her because she was my dad's girlfriend and I didn't want him to have a girlfriend. And, um, and so I would go over to my dad's house and then we always wound up going over to her house for dinner. And then they were always working on a project of some sort and doing things together. And I just kind of felt like I was around my dad and, um, but you know, my dad had rules and, um, he was a disciplinarian and I knew to follow the rules and I knew to, you know, to do whatever he wanted me to do. And I did. And, and my mom, I didn't have any rules. I could do whatever I wanted. There was, she was, she was gone a lot. And when the divorce happened, she started going out on weekends and I've already told you she's not an alcoholic and she's not. And, but she started going out on weekends and she started going out pretty often and pretty regularly. And I was left at home a lot by myself and I kind of took care of myself and I learned how to, um, you know, I would clean the house and I would fix my own meals and I would take care of myself and I would do the laundry. And what I know about that today that I didn't know then is that I, I know I was doing those things thinking if I do all this stuff, she'll stay home. Mm-hmm. She'll be, she'll be home more. And, um, and again, she wasn't going out to get wasted. She was going out to find him. She mm-hmm. needed a replacement husband. And, um, and I didn't, again, didn't understand that at the time. Totally get that today. Totally understand that today. And, um, and so when I turned uh, 13, um, my dad married that woman and she became my stepmom. And, um, and then my mom married my stepdad and, um, and my stepdad um, did a lot of good things for me. He got me braces and he got me contacts and 
he taught me a lot of stuff. He was a smart man. And uh, he taught me a lot of stuff and he took me to buy store-bought clothes for the first time. Um, up until that time, I pretty much had hand-me-downs or garage sale clothes or whatever. And, um, and, and he, he was really good to me in a lot of ways. And I always want to stress that because, um, he, we had a, we always had a power struggle relationship really. Um, cause when he came into the picture, he wanted to be the parent and I had kind of taken over that role. And, uh, I thought I was doing a pretty good job at it. He did not. And, um, so he, you know, we always had a little bit of a power struggle, but he really, he really was good to me. And I know that he really cared about me. Um, but he was also a sick man. And, um, I, I now know when I didn't know them, but he was probably alcoholic. And, uh, what happened was when I was 16, I, uh, caught him watching me take showers through the skylight in the bathroom. And I had told, I caught him a few times before and I told my mom about it. And my mom came in, um, one night when this happened and she, and I, and I turned on the shower and listened and waited for him to get on the roof. And I went and got my mom and it was 1130 at night. And, she heard him on the roof and she came out and he came in the back door and she said, what were you doing on the roof at 1130 at night? And, um, he said he was cleaning the gutters and, um, you know, and I, and what I know today is that my mom was so scared of losing him and losing that security that, um, I, I don't think it's that she didn't believe him. I think she was absolutely terrified. And, um, and, you know, and that's kind of how, um, our relationship kind of ended. Um, I got asked to move out of the house and I went to go move, uh, live with my dad and, and, uh, and, you know, I didn't know that my stepdad was an alcoholic. I really didn't. I mean, I had, I mean, I had no clue cause I didn't know anything about alcoholism, but when I got in this program and I told my sponsor, um, about him, she said, do you think your stepdad was an alcoholic? And I said, no. And she said, well, didn't he drink? And I said, yeah, he drank every day. And she said, well, tell me how he drank. Tell me about his drinking. And I said, well, you know, he drank beer like I drink water. And by the way, I drink a lot of water. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I said, and then at night, he would have a tumbler of Ezra Brooks and Coke. And sometimes he'd have two of them. And she said, well, why do you think he's not an alcoholic? And I said, because I have never seen that man drunk. And she said, how do you know you've never seen him sober? And mm -hmm. that was, that blew my mind. I mean, yeah. it literally blew my mind. I was like, oh, I've never thought of that. And, right. um, and looking back, I can see there was definitely a lot of the behaviors and the, and the isms of alcoholism with my stepdad. And, um, and, you know, he later died. I, I never get a chance to tell that in my story. People always come well, to me and go, what happened to your stepdad? And I was yeah, like, well, oh yeah, he did pass away. When did he die? How, he, how old were um, you? I was 19 when he died. I had um, already been married and, and when he died. Oh, and, so, wait, um, that, so that was, that was a 16 when he moved out of the house, mm -hmm, right? So between mm -hmm. 16 and 19, well, there's a marriage in there that we, we got ahead of ourselves, yeah. <laughs> but you yeah. got married and he actually passed away at the same time or during yeah. the, a little after that. Yeah. He, um, yeah, he had a massive heart attack and died and I had not talked to my mother for those whole, those three years. Did you, and, did you ever get to go back and have a conversation with your mother regarding that whole situation? My mother is still alive. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have had, um, 
Yes, we have had, um, honestly, the first time that we had the, a big conversation about it, I will tell you, I was not kind and I had, we had a big blow up about it. Um, I think it was all the stuff that I had been thinking and feeling for so many years. Um, and somebody asked the wrong question. Um, that's really all I can tell you. And I just went off on her, unfortunately. How old and were you when you had that first conversation? Probably about 20 years old. Okay. It, was, uh, it was probably a year after my stepdad died. And, um, and you know, that, and, and it took a long time, even after that, because I, because I had not talked to my mom in three years. And then um, we were just starting to talk because she honestly, she just needed help. When my stepdad died, she didn't know what she was going to do. And um, I, I was, again, being the youngest and being the most responsible um, and the fixer of the family and the one that is always the one that takes care. Again, typical untreated Al-Anon. Um, I came in to save the day and to help mom because, you know, how is she going to do this without me? Mm. And um and so we were just kind of trying to um, get past all of that. And, but I was still really angry and um, I was trying not to be and trying to act like I wasn't, but I really was. And again, and then I blew up at her. And, um, and you know, she, she, we, even after that blow up, we still, we still talked, but, we, but not a lot. We really didn't talk for a long, long time. So I, I, I want to say also what we were talking about before we started on the recording today. Because uh, a lot of times I will ask the guest, uh, whoever's here, if there's anything in particular they want me to quote, avoid. Uh, some people are going through legal situations and such like that. But but I, I want you to say to the listeners, basically what you told me about the good and the bad and the ugly. Will you let them know what you said? Yeah. Um, I just, you know, I'm, I'm brutally honest about what has happened in my life and my role in it. Um, and I look at my part and I not only look at where my mistakes were and where I was wrong, but I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very open and honest about that because I just think that that's our job here. I mean, if, if, if me having a train wreck of a life and all the mistakes that I made doesn't do good, something, some good for somebody else, then what's the point? And um, I can't shade that or hide that. There's somebody else out there that I can help. I don't care who it is, somebody who's been in the, my situation or something similar. And, um, you know, that's, I think that God gives us our stories to help other people. Um, and that's why I do what I do. But I'm, you know, I don't, I don't hold back. I'm pretty, I'm pretty honest about it. And I, and again, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed of anything that's happened. I have some stuff that I, that's not, um, you know, that I'm not proud of and that I don't recommend, but everything has got me to where I am today. And I've, I've learned a lot. I also want to ask you while we're, while I'm thinking about it, because God only knows it'll probably slip my mind later if I don't <laughs> ask you, but um, there is and I've asked several people who have been on here with Alan on about this. I, I know that there's, I don't know if you call it a schism or you call it just a, a disagreement where the big book is concerned and Alan on and people kind of come down on different sides of that. Can, can you talk to me a little bit about that from the inside out? Sure. Um, I love the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I love it. I really do love it. I think it's the only piece of literature where you can go and you can really get to understand what the disease of alcoholism is about. And um, it has the experiences in there and it has um, I, I, everything that you need to know about alcoholism is in that book. 
and especially how to be treated for alcoholism is in that book. It, it, it is the blueprint. So I have every single one of my sponsees. I tell them all that they should get their own copy and they should read it. You just can't take it to a meeting of Al-Anon. That's the only difference. We have a lot of stuff that we can read on our own as long as you just don't bring it into the meeting. And so, um, and I, I even, I mean, we borrow from the big book when we're working the steps. Um, you know, I, I have them read the third step prayer. I have them read the seventh step prayer. Um, I, I let, if they want to do their, um, four step, uh, like the columns out of the big book, I have no problem with that. Um, I, you know, I have people who will say, well, the third, the third step and the seventh step is AA. That's not Al-Anon. Well, you know, they let us borrow their steps and traditions. I'm pretty sure we can take a prayer from them. I'm, I don't <laughs> think that's an issue. So I think, I, I think, and I think if you really want to know and understand the disease of alcoholism and how it affects alcoholics and the families around them, um, I think you should read it. However, I will say this. This is just my opinion, just so you'll put this out there. It is just my opinion and my opinion only. Mm -hmm. I do not suggest that you take, get an Al-Anon who is brand new and say, oh, go read to the wives and then let's talk. Because I think it's a big mistake. You need to read all of it first. Mm -hmm. And um, and to the wives, um, just again, my opinion, not the best written chapter in the book. (laughs) I'm just saying... Bill Wilson was, wrote it. Not, not, not an Alan on did not write this. Not somebody in family. Bill Wilson wrote it, and he was only four years sober when he wrote it. So keep that in mind. Might have been a little bit self-serving. Is all I'm saying. Again, <laughs> just my opinion. Just my opinion. But we have fabulous Alan on literature, and I think, um, I think some of the, I think one, uh, my favorite pieces of Alan on literature is how Alan on works, and I really think that every Alan on, or maybe if you're just thinking that you might be Alan on, should get how Alan on works and read it and see if you can identify. Because if you if you can identify at all. Um, in those pages, there's a real good chance um, that you probably need to go to a meeting and you could get some help. Okay. So that's, an, that's another question. I was, in terms of resources, uh, if you're listening to this or if somebody's listening to this and they uh, are thinking, you know, maybe Al-Anon is for me, you know, maybe I identify with Lori G to, to the hilt. Um, they shouldn't, what, number one, uh, well, I guess go to a meeting, read that book. Uh, what's it called again? How How Alan How Al Anon works, okay. and it, the whole title is How Al Anon Works for Families and Friends of Alcoholics. I believe is the whole title. Okay. Um, but yes, I listen. If you are related to have friends of somebody whose drinking bothers you, I think you should at least try to go to an Al-Anon meeting. And, you know, we tell you to go to at least six before you decide if it's for you or not. And, um, and I think you'll hear if you're somebody like me, you're going to, the, the situations might be different. It might be um, your kid, but it might be somebody else's husband, or it might be somebody else's parent, or it could be somebody's best friend. The situations, the people may be different, but the feelings and the way that we react are usually the same. Or very similar. Got it. Okay, so I got you off track, as I have a tendency <laughs> to do. Uh, looking back, I think you were at like, uh, oh, you're at like 19 years old. Uh, yeah, so I, I met 
I met my first husband. Yep. I was turned 19. I met a guy um, and uh, I met him in September and and in November, he asked me to marry him and we got married in March and nobody in my family was thrilled about that. I was 19. He was 27. Everybody tried to tell me uh, not to do this. You don't know what you're doing. You're too young. You don't know him. And um, I knew, of course, at 19, I know everything. And um, (laughs) I don't listen. I do not listen to anybody. And because I just think you guys just don't understand and you don't know. And, um, and, you know, unfortunately that knowing everything does not stop at the age of 19 that continues on through my adulthood. And, um, but it was, and I'm going to tell you, I married him and I instantly knew it was the biggest mistake of my life. Um, but I, uh, and again, I have these ideas and I'm not really sure, um, where they come from, but, and I don't really know where all this at the time, these patterns, this stuff that I know and the things that I believe and the, the things that are in my head comes from, but, um, I just think I I'm going to make this work no matter what. I mean, I've always been able to work hard. My dad has taught me you can work. If you work hard, you can accomplish anything. And, uh, I cannot stand to be told I was wrong. I cannot be, I don't want to hear. I told you so. So I, I just have, I'm just going to make it work. I'm just going to do whatever I have to do to make it work. And, um, and you know, and I tried, I really tried, but it was, it was, it was doomed from the beginning. It really was. And, um, any children? uh, Yeah. So we got, yeah. So we got married and I'm trying to make this work. And about four years in, I get pregnant with my son because if you're having a bad marriage, bring a kid into it so he can be a part of it. And, uh, and you know, there's something about having a baby that does, I'm, I'm going to tell you, cause people, um, it's never a fix. It's never a good idea. If you're in a bad relationship and you're bringing a kid into it to fix it, it's a horrible idea. And I, and that's not what I was trying to do. I did. I didn't even try to get pregnant. I just got pregnant. And, um, and, and it does kind of give you a band aid for a while. I mean, everybody is in this whole happiness, but new baby, everything's great for a while. But it's just temporary because all those issues are still there and there's no fix for it. And so uh, we stayed married for eight years and about uh, a little over seven years into it, I was trying to figure out how to get out of that marriage. And um, and I only have there's only certain reasons. Again, I don't know where all this stuff comes from at the time. I have no idea. But I at the time, I believe the only reason you can get a divorce is uh, if they beat you if they cheat on you or if they're alcoholic and he was none of those. Um, but had he been alcoholic, I might've still been married to him. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I was going to ask. Was he alcoholic, but he was, he was not. not, he was not. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, so, uh, I, um, I was working at a bank by this time I'm living back in the country. I am driving an hour to the city every single day to work. I work at a bank. And, uh, my way out of my marriage walked through the door and he was the best looking thing I've ever seen in my whole entire life and still is. Um, he was five, six. I like short guys. I've always liked short guys. If you're short, I'm going to like you. If you're short and alcoholic, I'm going to love you. Just count it. (laughs) And, um, and he was, and he was the attorney for the bank. He was on my board of directors and he was on my loan approval committee. And, and every girl in the bank giggled and batted their eyes and flirted with him and all the guys shook his hand and patted him on the back. And I literally could not form a sentence around him. I was so nervous and I've never, ever had that happen before. And I've never had it happen since. And, um, 
And, and so one day he asked me to bring a file down to his office and I do, and he takes me to lunch and I start dating him and I left my husband. And, uh, and unfortunately that's the order it came in. And unfortunately those are one of those things that I do not suggest and it's not a recommendation, but it's the truth and it's not anything I'm proud of. And I'm going to tell you, I was selfish and I wanted what I wanted when I wanted it. And I did not think about anybody else and how that was going to affect anybody else. Um, and I always say this alcoholics don't have the market cornered on selfishness and self-centeredness. And, um, and I hurt a lot of people by doing that, by making that decision. And I, and I honestly didn't care. I really didn't care at that time. And so, um, I start dating this guy. He's crazy. He's a lot of fun, lots of fun, very exciting, a lot of fun. Um, uh, absolutely insane. Um, and, and we go and we start on our, our journey together. And, um, and it's in it and it just <laughs> and it just gets worse. Um, we I, you know, I um, I start dating him and um, and we're and no matter what we do, we have a good time. But um, he's a little crazy and um, and people that knew me and knew him would call me up and say, is it true that you're dating Cliff? And I'd say yes. And he'd say they'd say uh I'd go, do you know him? And they'd say, oh yeah. And I'd say, well, tell me about him. And they'd say, well, you know, he's a brilliant guy. He's, he's one of the smartest men you'll ever meet. And, uh, and I knew that he did his undergraduate in three years. He graduated top 5% in his law school and he was seventh in his class. And they'd say, and he's really successful. And I knew that because at the time he had, he was a first name partner in his law firm. um, And he, and before he was 30 years old. And then they would say, and um, he's a lot of fun. And I knew that because we'd had a lot of fun together. But then they'd say something like this, but he's a liar. He's a cheat. He's arrogant. He's egotistical. You cannot trust him as far as you can throw him and you need to stay away from him. And what I heard was he needs you. (laughs) And, um, and I really believe that I really, I mean, that's exactly what I heard, you know? So all right. So Lori, so here's my thought is that you have not got to Al-Anon yet. Uh, and I'm not sure it's going to be anytime real, real soon. So what I'd like to do, if you're okay with it, is go ahead and schedule some time with you to come back and to finish kind of the, the second half of your story. Would you be okay with that? Absolutely. That sounds good. So what I usually do here and I'm going to do today is I read from page 164 of the big book to wrap up an episode and uh, we'll wrap this up and then we'll get you back on so the listeners can uh, see what your entree into Al-Anon is all about. (laughs) Okay. All right. Page 164 says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit. And you will surely meet some of us like me and Lori G. (laughs) As you trudge the road of happy destiny, may God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Lori, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you again. And remember, everybody, we'll have the second part of Lori G next week on episode number 300. Can you believe we're at 300? Uh, And you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, So now on to a little bit of listener feedback. Oh, by the way, remember, we do not want you sharing your gossip or your toothbrush or your STD, but we would absolutely love for you to pause your device and share that episode with another friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. Now on to a little bit of listener feedback. And by the way, okay, so the first part of listener feedback here is actually reviews. Okay, so here's the scoop. Really good podcasters, not me, they encourage their listeners to go out to Apple Podcasts or what used to be known as iTunes and leave reviews all the time. I've done that in the past, uh, but I rarely do it. Uh, And if you want to go out to uh, uh, Apple and leave a review, that'd be absolutely fantastic. Uh, Apparently... It helps in the search engines if you get a bunch of reviews and people are positive and all that sort of stuff. But if you don't, hey, I'm fine with that too. But I went back, I I looked at some of the the Apple Podcast reviews and these are, (coughs) excuse me now, remember I maybe coughing here a little bit. Uh, These are Apple Podcast reviews that are... My goodness. Uh, These are Apple Podcast reviews that uh, I got from the website and Conscious Marketing and PR said, uh, this podcast is very much needed. It is so eye-opening to the challenges that come with alcohol addiction. Very much needed. So, um, I don't know exactly who these people are. They, I guess they have, I don't even handle surnames. I don't even know what you call that. But uh, uh, here's another one. It says, uh, and thank you so much, Conscious Marketing NPR. Mary LaRue. Uh, oh, I just like saying that. Mary LaRue. Uh, Sober in Montana is the name of this. It says, love you, John. Your humor uh, is infectious. It makes me laugh. I listen when I walk the dogs early in the morning. Each speaker teaches me something new. Keep it up, John Mary. Oh, and then I guess this is her um, sobriety date. It says 127-1990. I don't know. Maybe she was born then, but uh, I'm just assuming that's her sobriety date, but you never know. Snoofy Foof posted in here. It says, phenomenal. I listen every day. Now, that is a heck of a handle there, Snoofy Foof, whoever you are. I appreciate you uh, writing in. Uh, And then we have, oh, Kelly E. Well, I'm not going to say the last name. I don't know if this is their last name or not, or just a uh, a pseudonym or who knows. He said he or she, Kelly, I don't know. It says great show, but lacks diversity. And he says, he or she says, lots of recovery and great stories on this podcast, but the host seems to have a lot of men on the show and very few women. Would love to hear some more stories from people who identify as non-binary slash trans. I get it. It is free and I enjoy it. But the content only from men grinds my gears. All right. Well. 
I don't know. I, I think I've had a lot of women on. Oh, in fact, this, this episode right here. But who knows? I, I, I just wanted to read some of the content coming in. And by the way, I, I have been through this also before with uh, uh, the... Uh, anyway, I'm just going to leave it alone. But thanks for posting there, <laughs> Kelly. I appreciate it. All right. Now, on to some, uh, I guess, traditional listener feedback. Christopher... Christopher writes in and he says, Hey, John, what's up, man? So I thought you'd like to hear my experience with sober speak. I got out of jail yesterday after a quick 30 day detox, not recommended, but in my case necessary. I'm one of those guys who can't stop when he starts and quit drinking and quit starting. When Marty C said, Uh, What Marty C. said resonated with me and my whole being. So the last 20 days I was in country, uh, uh, oh, I was in county, county incarceration. He said, I had a tablet and I found you guys. I don't know how many episodes, uh, but I caught up uh, uh, with several each day. Between you and Marty and Father... Bill W., Chris S., and many more, you guys, were exactly what I needed. I'm I'm headed back to an AA-based 12-step treatment center named Samaritan Colony in Rockingham, North Carolina. I pray I let it all out in my fifth step this time. Well, I do too, Christopher. And I look forward to finding a sponsor who sees the steps in a similar way to Marty. I've believed the same for some time, but I never heard heard it put into words any better. It's always been cool to hear someone else say what you don't have the words for. And Marty, my friend, is excellent at that. And he says, uh, I've been... Uh, I've been longer winded than I planned, but I but I get excited about the deal. Love you guys for real, Christopher H. Well, Christopher H. It sounds like you, my friend, are on the right path. Uh, just keep going, keep us posted, and uh, thank you so much for writing in. Coop writes in. This is our old, this is our dear friend Coop. Uh, that uh, uh, we know on the show well. Uh, He says, Hey, John, as I sit and reflect back on the last couple of years, I am truly amazed. I celebrated 13 years on the 13th of June, and I cannot believe where I am spiritually. He says, I owe you and your podcast a a debt of gratitude that cannot be paid. Thank you. I have a sponsorship lineage that has taught me so much about how this program really works. The lineage is now taking root here in Ohio. I'm pretty sure I will probably be fired from AA soon as some around here don't like hearing about how the book really works. <laughs> and uh, and they are so used to the group that I uh, and they are so used to the group thought of the group thought and all the cliches that get used as the program instead of the actual program. Good for you, Coop. He says, again, I want to thank you for getting me plugged into Gary and his crew. He's talking about Gary K there. 
who, uh, if you listen to this podcast uh, whatsoever, you or, or at all, ah, I shouldn't say whatsoever. If you've listened to this podcast very long, you will know Gary. Anyway, he says, I am learning all the things I don't know that I did not know. Uh, he says, I am learning all the things I didn't know that I did not know. All the love to you and yours, my friend, Coop. Well, Coop. Right back at you. I'm so glad you got uh, hooked in with Gary K there uh, and all his uh, friends uh, and lineage there. And and I'm 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 thankful to hear all the updates from you, Coop. Thank you so much for writing in. Jason writes in. He says, "Hey, John, I live in Lafayette, Louisiana. You know, I've been to Lafayette, Louisiana, like many times." on business. I like it down there. I like the, oh, they got those chickens that they stuff with all sorts of stuff and then they cook it and, and everybody down there is fishing and hunting all the time. But anyway, I I really love Lafayette. He says, I'm an alcoholic. I've been sober since February 22nd of 2023. I have three months now. I found you on Amazon music. I love your podcast and I treat it like a meeting between a meeting. Good for you. He says, of your speakers, I really enjoy the Earl H. episodes, David G., Marty C., and many others. Thank you so much for what you're doing, Jason. Well, thank you, Jason, for writing in. And, uh, you know, I'm working with, on something with Earl H. right now that uh, I'm, I'm hoping we get to release sometime here in the near future. I'm not sure what kind of uh, shape it's going to take, uh, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Jason, excuse me, not Jason there. Dave writes in and he says, uh, oh, I know this Dave. Yes. He says, Hey John, I want to thank you for your beautiful spirit. Your choked up sincerity speaks to me when the little crack, the little cracks where God shines through. Oh, that's cool, David. Uh, Dave, Dave, excuse me. He says, it's helping me in a difficult time. It's not easy having a good look at yourself. Man, do I understand that, Dave. I do. He says, thanks, mate. Davy down under. Well, Davy down under? Oh, and then he puts a big kangaroo in the Australian flag. I always like it when I hear from the folks down under. Um God, Dave, I, Dave, I, I remember, Davey, excuse me, I'm Dave, David, Davey, uh, I remember, oh, and I told you this in an email, uh, the night when you actually sent me that email, uh, I, I, I was really struggling that night, and uh, I'm not going to go all into it, I think I recorded about it last week, and, uh, um, and, and I wasn't focused on... <coughs> What I should be focused on, which is helping others, and which is uh, the God of my understanding and building that relationship. I was focused on all these things I was in fear about. And I got this, and this just kind of recentered me. Uh, and I really appreciate it when you guys write in like this. I really do. It means, it means so much to me. So anyway, thank you so much, Dave. I appreciate that. And uh, hopefully one day I'll get down under, mate. And uh, I would love to meet some of the people down under face to face someday, but I don't know. We shall see. Charles writes in, and Charles says, "Hey, John. Um, oh, I know what this is. So, my friend David G actually recently 
uh, went and spoke at a convention in New Orleans. Uh, and they had heard David G. Um, Charles had heard David G. on my podcast here. And uh, he wanted to write in and just say this. He says, hey, John, David spoke at the convention tonight, and it was much better than fantastic. He brought me to tears. I found him on your podcast. God sends us in the right direction if we let him. Best regards, Charles P. from New Orleans. And by the way, if you guys are out there and you've heard something on the... First of all, let me back up. Charles, I'm so glad that worked out. I knew David G. would work out just wonderfully for you. Uh, he's, he's spoken at many conferences now, uh, and, and he just does a great job. Uh, I'm sure you got to meet both him and his wife, Sarah, and uh, I'm, 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 I'm just so happy for you. And, and if you're listening out there and you're thinking to yourself, Self, how do I get a speaker from John M's podcast uh, to come speak at my convention. Well, just give me a shout, John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com, and I'll get you in touch with whoever you need to get in touch with, and uh, we'll hook you up if uh, schedules work out accordingly. Jenny writes in, and Jenny says, Hello, John. I heard about Sober Speak. Oh, I remember this in a BBC podcast. So, she was listening to obviously a BBC podcast and the name of the podcast is How You Cope with Ellis, E-L-I-S, and John, J-O-H-N, in season four uh, on, the BB, uh, on the BBC. And I have listened to only one episode today. Many things that were noted in the BBC podcast resonated with me, and I felt it was a good promotion of Sober Speak, so I thought I would check it out. I am on the very edge of hopefully starting my recovery journey after many years of trauma. Thank you for your email. Kind regards, Jenny. So, Jenny... Uh, uh, heard us on this particular podcast, and I went back and I listened to it, and and, and the gentleman on there brings up sober speak, and it was really cool. And uh, I don't know how to get in touch with them, but hopefully one day our live our paths will cross. And uh, anyway, Jenny, thank you for writing in. I really appreciate it. And finally, an old friend of the show, Quan C U O N G, writes in. He says, hi, John, I'm still listening to your podcast while I work as a construction worker in San Francisco, California. I like to re-listen to podcasts after time, uh, after time has lapsed, because I hear it differently depending on what steps I'm on and if I'm spiritually fit. Keep up the amazing service work you do. Quan. So yes, I'm the same way when I listen to speakers after I've not heard them for a while. Um, it actually, I, you know, you hear it in a different way. And it's actually, and it's like reading the big book, right? Uh, depending on where I am uh, and what's going on in my life, uh, I get to uh, mm, digest it in a different way. All right, everybody. Guess what? That uh, the the lovely Mrs. M has uh, so graciously agreed to uh, make me some dinner, 
And I am going to take her up on that and uh, hopefully get to feeling a little bit better, better fairly soon. <coughs> God bless you. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Uh, oh, and how's the other word? Uh, may God bless you and keep you until then. All right. Love you guys. <laughs> Thanks for bearing with me on episode number 299 here soon. I take this one week at a time. Hope to hear, uh, hope to be back next week, <laughs> but one never tells. I don't know. This could be the last episode. Oh, but for Lori's sake, I hope it's not the last episode I ever released because I really want to get <laughs> the second part of her story out there. But, uh, you know, we're never guaranteed tomorrow. So, uh, Love you guys. Bye-bye.